Christmas, Antioch. My name is Bree Curley, and I lead our college ministry here at Antioch Brighton. And I'm excited to share with you this morning for week three of our Advent series, Are We There Yet? And Advent is a season where we get to anticipate the coming of Jesus to earth. And in this sermon series, we've been seeing that God's people are a people of longing. And God often answers that longing with himself. And our world and society are in a season of longing right now, in this COVID season. When will life get back to normal? When will we finally have racial equality? We're like children in the backseat of a minivan saying, are we there yet? And God's people have always been a people of longing. We've often been occupying the space in between the promise and the fulfillment. And we're entering into the season of Advent where we give attention to this reality. And we remember how God graciously answers his people's longing for deliverance with the gift of his son. And this first week, Mark preached on our need to have a higher longing for the kingdom of God, right? How we need to look and develop this higher calling in every season because there's hope where we're going that waiting is really worth it. And last week, we looked at Simeon and Anna who represented the Jewish people who were awaiting the coming Messiah, that the people of God have, were in this long process of waiting. And Mark explained um, that uh, that God meets us and transforms us in that process of waiting. And this week we're going to unpack the, that process of waiting a little bit more by looking at how the disciples waited for the baptism of the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended into heaven and what that looks like for us to wait well. And so kind of a blitz overview of how we got to this point. Jesus was born, right? The Messiah came and he was even more loving and kind and powerful and mysterious and confusing and countercultural than anyone could have imagined, right? He was totally mind-blowing. He was God and man. And he cared about relationship with people so much that he gathered his followers together and he walked with them and he taught them in intentional ways. And then Jesus did what no other man could do. He went to the cross and he gave himself as a sacrifice. He made a way for us to be with God. But he died in a really painful way and his disciples and his followers, they were in a massive amount of pain, right? They were denying him. They were going back to their day jobs. It was a total mess, right? And then three days later, he came back to life. Then he started appearing to different people for the next 40 days. He was walking through walls. He was eating with them. He was teaching. He was holding out his hands and he was saying, here, touch to prove that he had been resurrected from the dead. So that's what we're going to pick up this morning in those 40 days. And so we're going to be reading out of Luke 24 um, in, in verse 49. This, this is what Jesus says while he was appearing to them after he was resurrected. It, he says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And in Acts 1, 4 through 5, it says it like, it says it like this. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells them he's sending them the Holy Spirit. That's part of what he was doing in those 40 days before he ascended into heaven. He was preparing them for a waiting period. But even though Jesus was pretty clear of who they were waiting for, the disciples didn't get it. Right, Jesus had to adjust what they were waiting for. In Acts 1.6, it says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has a time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Their longing, their are we there yet, it was for political power to restore Israel. It was to be this independent nation. They didn't get it. And Jesus responds in verse 8, it says, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right? Jesus responded to them, kind as he always was, and he answered their question about this political power by changing their mission and expectation to be ones who build the kingdom of God. Right, Jesus gives them this higher call. That's what Mark was talking about that first week, that their longing would be for God to encounter them with the Holy Spirit before that they were sent out on mission. And so Jesus tells them to wait because he's leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming. Right, and then some time passes. We don't know exactly how much, but then we get to the next verse in Luke 24. And and this is the time when Jesus actually ascends to heaven. So now we're on the Mount of Olives, and this is what Luke 24, starting verse 50 says. It says, then Jesus led them to Bethany, or the Mount of Olives, and lifting up his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. So Jesus left, and their time for the waiting of the Holy Spirit began. You know what I love about these verses and how it connects with Advent? The Advent or coming of Jesus is marked by the same things that the Advent or the coming of the Holy Spirit is marked by. Right? What do these verses say? It says that the disciples, the, the disciples were filled with joy, that they were rejoicing as they went to the temple to wait and to praise God. Does that remind you of anyone? Last week we saw that Simeon rejoiced when he saw Jesus. Right? Jesus' birth was marked by great joy. And Anna, she was waiting for the coming of Jesus in the temple, just like the disciples. She was being devoted to prayer and worship and fasting. And church, we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And we should be marked with the joy and devotion in the temple as we wait for him. Just like the advent of Jesus, like the Israelites, like Simeon and Anna were waiting for Jesus. And just like in Advent or the coming of the Holy Spirit just as the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come to them, right? This is a core piece of what we should stoke in this Advent season, this joy and devotion, right? And so this morning, we're going to look at what did the disciples do while they waited? What was the outcome of their waiting, and how does that apply to us? How can we really wait well in this season? So back to our story, right? Jesus left. Now the disciples are waiting for the Holy Spirit. So what did they do while they were waiting? What was this process of waiting like? Before we do that, I want us to take a moment and think of something that you've been waiting for in your life. What promise in scripture, what longing or desire that lines up with God's will, or something that God's spoken to you. What are you waiting for? Now I want to ask you, how is your waiting? Right, and this morning I want to propose a very simplistic outline of three ways we can wait. We, we can have passive waiting, the kind of waiting where we just sit on our hands and we don't really do anything kind of waiting. The please, why wait, right? Where you take your, your things in your own hands and you just try to make something happen. And then there's the preparatory waiting or the active waiting that the disciples did. So the first one, this, this passive waiting, right? Passive waiting assumes that we don't have any real expectation or hope that the things we're longing for or waiting for are going to happen. It's a, I'll believe it when I see it. This may be because we feel defeated or powerless in our situation, or we just don't have belief that God is really good and wants to move on our behalf. So we, we just kind of wait. 
right? I was thinking about this, and it's kind of like in, in baseball. When you're in the field and the other team's up to bat, you as a fielder, you're supposed to be ready to receive the ball, right? You're squatting down. You've got your glove ready. You're waiting to see what happens. You know who's on what base, so you know where to throw the ball when it's hit to you. But what happens if a guy who's supposed to be playing third base, he shows up, he's in jeans, he's in sneakers, just kind of hanging around, right? He's looking over up at the stands. He doesn't care that the batter just got in the box. Pitcher throws the ball. It's right down the middle. There's a big crack of the bat, right? It's a line drive straight to him. You think he's going to catch the ball? No, he's going to catch the ball with his face, right? Or potentially even worse, depending on your personality, the coach is going to pull him out of the game because the coach will see and that he's not ready. He's not prepared, right? We'd be led to believe that this third baseman doesn't really think the ball is going to come to him if he's doing that, right? Part of waiting is putting ourselves in a posture where we're ready to receive. We can't be passive in it, right? What if the disciples weren't in the upper room during Pentecost? What if Peter wasn't there ready to preach when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2? We don't want to passively wait. Then there's the other end of the spectrum, the why wait, right? And then this is when you go outside the boundaries and you try to take things in your own hands and make things happen and you assume any waiting is bad, right? This is a brief special. I've had to learn this one the hard way. In middle school, I had really bad shoulder injury where a piece of my humor had broke off and that little piece of bone um, started to cut and saw off two-thirds of the muscles in the front of my shoulder. And I played sports, so every time I threw the ball or moved, that piece of bone just cut off the muscles, and I only had a third of them attached still. And so needless to say, I needed to have um, pretty major surgery when I was 13. I was supposed to be in a sling with no movement for six weeks after my surgery. And if you, th- if you um, think I have issues following directions now, you should have seen me then, right? I decided I didn't need that long. Six weeks going like this was way too long. Like, please, why wait? So I started secretly in my room. I would take my sling off and I would slowly start to regain my mobility in my shoulder. And I thought, you know, if I get my movement back sooner, I'll be the all-star PT when my time came. I'd be so ahead of the curve and I could get on with like my normal fun stuff in life, right? And, And this way, if I did it this way, I could deal with my pain by myself, not in front of some random physical therapist and my mom. Well, long story short, my physical therapist and my mom were horrified on the first day of PT when I just threw my arm up over my head because I didn't wait. And I permanently damaged my shoulder because of it, right? There was an allotted amount of time for me to wait and I was impatient and it's caused me really painful and permanent consequences in my life. And apart from God healing me, which would be awesome, I I have to live with those consequences of not waiting. So it's not super hard to draw a parallel, right? We need to wait in appropriate ways of what God intends in certain seasons instead of bucking the process of waiting. Or we may have consequences that cause us damage and damage to others. And so Psalm 16 verse 5 says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. We need to learn to love the boundaries and restrictions that God puts in place for our protection in times of waiting. They're for our good, right? What would have happened if the disciples wouldn't have waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit? If they just ran off straight to Samaria or hopped on a boat to Rome or cruised right to the uttermost, they were trying to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. I don't think it would have worked, right? I do wonder, I was like, were any of them in the temple and just kind of like walked by a sick person was like, get up and walk just to see if it, if, if it worked, if they could move without the power of the Holy Spirit. No, they needed to wait. 
right? But God doesn't just have us sit around and do nothing in the waiting, this passive waiting, but he also doesn't have a short circuit the process. So what kind of waiting did the disciples do? They did this preparatory or active waiting, right? What did they do when they waited for the Holy Spirit? I'm going to say three different things that the disciples did as they were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the first was that they dealt with pain and loss and they made practical preparations for the future, right? Acts 1, 12 through 26, it's all about the process of replacing Judas, right? Their friend, their companion, their brother who betrayed them and Jesus. They had just all been with Jesus for three years. I can't imagine the gap they felt, right? They had just been with God all the time, and now they don't have him anymore. And on top of it, they were missing Judas, and they were dealing with the fact that he betrayed Jesus and then took his own life, Right? There was massive pain and loss on so many levels that they were experiencing in this waiting. And so what did they do? They talked about what happened. Then they made a plan and moved forward and Matthias became a disciple. Right, They were dealing with this loss and pain and they were setting up some structure so that they would be in the best place to respond as a group when the Holy Spirit came. So what's that mean for us? What pain or disappointment, seeming silly, or, or big need to be addressed because of this COVID season or whatever you're waiting for, right? There's been some major loss and disappointment that have happened over the last nine months. Process it with Jesus and others in this season, right? It could be as simple as journaling or talking to a friend, or this may be a season for counseling or structured professional places of healing. But times of waiting are times for us to examine and address pain and loss and move forward in healthy ways for the future. So so that's the first thing the disciples did. They dealt with pain and loss and they made preparations for the future. And secondly, they drew in a relationship with one another. Acts 1, 13 through 14 said, When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, Judas. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with um, the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The next verse says there was 120 of them gathered. And so what did the disciples do in the waiting? They pulled together. They were together in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came. They were in the temple courts together. They were meeting and talking about Judas. They were sharing meals and processing. They pulled close together in community into one another. And it would have been easy for them to disperse, for them to go and do their own thing like they did after Jesus was crucified and mope around and wonder what's going to happen. But this time they pulled together. And so what's that mean for us? You might be saying, Brie, that's impossible. And currently the most socially irresponsible thing we could do right now is pull together. And yes, physically being together as a community um, right now in this time of waiting may be challenging to get 120 of us in a room. But we've all experienced a narrowing of relationships in this season. So I want to say cultivate depth, depth with those that you do have in relationship with right now. Right, that's why we as Antioch Brighton have said, hey, life groups are at the heart of the church in this season. It's in our small groups where we can process with one another, where we can comfort one another with the word of God, where we can look towards the towards the future and really wait well with one another. Right? Be intentional when you do gather and connect with those from our church or community. So the first thing the disciples did was they dealt with pain and made preparations for the future. The second thing is they leaned into community. And the third thing is that they stoked and stewarded this longing for Jesus. Luke 24 verse 50 says, And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. 
right? The disciples, this group of believers, they devoted themselves to worship and prayer like never before. They wanted to be ready. And I think uh, they had this, this longing for Jesus after he left. I think they were remembering all he had done. I think they were thanking God for their time with him. And I think they were desperate for him to come back, right? They sowed into the spirit. They really missed Jesus. And they were doing practical life things. They were replacing disciples and doing relationships and meeting together. But they were also upping their devotion in worship and prayer. And so for us in times of waiting, we need to make space for God to speak to us and to encounter us. Right? Devote yourself to more worship and prayer than ever before. Right? The perk of the world shutting down right now is there's theoretically, we've got a lot more time than we've ever had. Right? And that's not for all of us in every season of life, but for most of us, it's slowed down in many ways. And so what does it look like for you in this season to press into worship and prayer in this season of waiting? And so the disciples, they waited well. And so I want to ask you again, how are you waiting? Right? Have you hit a passive point in your walk with God? Or you feel like you're going outside the boundaries of what God has for you in this season? You're trying to short circuit the process and make something happen because you're trying to rush it. Or there are places where you maybe need to address some pain and loss in your life. Or you may need to press into community and, and re-engage with the people of God that he's placed around you. Or, or is there a place of worship and prayer that needs to be cultivated and developed in your life in this season? I want to invite you to reflect on those things this week. Because guess what happened? Acts 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like, a bl- like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The Holy Spirit came. Their waiting was worth it. And you want to know what happened next? Pick up an Acts 2 and just keep reading. Keep going. Right? The disciples were ready for the falling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know when it was going to be. They didn't know where it was going to be. They didn't know what it was going to be like. But they were waiting well for it. So I don't know exactly what that looks like for you in this season. And I'm going to pray that we would be a people like the disciples who are ready in the upper room, who are waiting for God to come. That we'd be like Simeon and Anna and the disciples, that we would be marked by great joy and devotion in this season of waiting. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you that that there was an advent of God, that there was a coming of the Messiah to earth, God, and that you showed us how to live, Lord, and that you didn't just leave, but you said that the Holy Spirit would come and would be with us and would give us power to do your will. God, I thank you for the picture of the disciples and the ways that they waited patiently, God, the way that they prepared the way of the Lord in their waiting, God. And I ask, Lord, that we would be like them, that we would be men and women who wait well for the things of God that you've spoken to us, God, that we would wait for the presence of Jesus to come, that that we would be ones who would be marked with joy and expectation and devotion in the temple to worship and prayer, that that we would beckon your second coming. And so, Jesus, we love you, God. I ask for grace for every person um, who's, who's watching this message, God, that you would fill them in their homes with the presence of the Holy Spirit, God. And in this season of Advent, Lord, that there would be expectation that would rise in our hearts as we're in a season of waiting. We love you, Jesus. Amen.